All right, uh, it's my pleasure today to be able to speak to you about some of the research that's been done in the field of acupuncture, a complementary and alternative medical technique. And hopefully by the end of this talk, you may form some opinion about whether you think acupuncture is a therapy that you might want to refer your patient to or whether you think it's just a sham and uh, something to just not bother with. So uh, I've received funding from uh, Pfizer, but none of the stuff that I'm going to talk to you about today pertains to that at all. So what we want to describe today is um, basically some of the principles behind acupuncture research. How do you actually study this intervention? And we're going to move into some of the data suggesting whether or not it's efficacious. And also, um, you know, you're going to formulate an opinion, hopefully by the end, about what it might be useful for. So stepping back a bit and talking more generally about complementary and integrative therapies, there's quite a few of them. And they range from some of the natural products like herbs, uh, probiotics, dietary supplements. And then there's also a whole class of mind-body practices, which include things like yoga, meditation, tai chi, qigong, uh, and then also acupuncture, which is uh, what we're going to focus on today. You might wonder sort of like, well, how many people in the U.S. actually use these alternative therapies? And the 10 most common ones uh, are listed here on the bottom, and I'm sorry if you can't read this, but the number one uh, seller is natural products. About 18% of the population in the year 2007 have used natural products. And then it goes down to maybe 10% to deep breathing and meditation at 9%, and then all the way down at the end, we have actually acupuncture, which is around 1%. And now this study is quite old. It's from 2007. Uh, but the numbers really haven't uh, changed negatively. They've actually more moved towards the positive direction with more people actually undergoing CAM therapies. In 2007, approximately 38% of the U.S. population had used part of uh, a CAM therapy in that year. And then also, there's a lot of money that's actually being spent on these things, uh, estimated $33.9 billion of out-of-pocket money patients have been paying for these kind of things. And it's really important to know whether or not people should really be doing these. Is it safe? Is it safe to do these alternative therapies? And uh, what, you know, why are people doing them? Um, Okay, so now we're going to talk about acupuncture and focus more in general on acupuncture. I don't know if you've seen an acupuncture needle before, but they're very, very thin. They're very, uh, they vary in length from very short to longer. And basically what happens is the acupuncturist will hold the needle on the handle part here, and then the point will be inserted into the body anywhere from shallowly, just subcutaneously, to more deeper needling, which could be you know, inches in, depending on the person's body shape. So acupuncture, it's good to know that it's basically a single component of Eastern Asian medical treatments, just like drugs, for example, are just a component of conventional care. You also have exercise. There's, ther- there's talk therapy. There's other, other things that go into Western medicine. There's also other things that go into Eastern medicine. And so acupuncture is just a component of that. Often it's used in conjunction with some types of exercises like Tui Na, uh, which is, involves massage or Tai Chi and Qigong. And the acupuncture needles, it's interesting, they can be stimulated by many, many different ways. You can either manually manipulate the needle. 
Um, you can use thermal uh, stimulation where you burn a, an herb called moxa. It's moxibustion on the needle, and the heat goes into the body. You can also stimulate them electrically with an electrical current, or you can use a chemical injection of a herbal supplement at an acupuncture point, and that also uh, is used. So I don't know, don't know if you've seen an acupuncture doll, but this is what the acupuncture doll looks like. And there are over 365 locations on the body where acupuncture needles are thought to be useful for inserting. And on the body, there's these uh, conduits or lines, and you, you may not be able to see them, but there are these lines that are thought to hold energy or chi, which is a concept that's very prevalent in Eastern Asian medicine and Eastern philosophy and Eastern traditions as well. But anyway, it's thought that the chi is supposed to flow along these channels in the body. And when you don't have the right flow of chi, either you have too much or too little, then you need to insert an acupuncture needle into a point, And that may hopefully balance the chi and regulate it. There's many different styles of acupuncture. When acupuncture is introduced into every new culture, it's morphed and changed in some way. So the French style is much more different from the Chinese style, which is different from Korean. So there's definitely different flavors. And there's probably going to be uh, a US style coming out uh, in the next decade or so, probably. OK, so what is acupuncture good for? There was actually a, a NIH consensus panel that met in 1998, so over two decades ago. And it was very, very informative. And it gathered a whole bunch of researchers and clinicians together. And they came out with a statement that was published in JAMA saying that acupuncture probably is good for things like nausea and vomiting. There's good data on that. There's also good data on acupuncture for dental pain. And then they also said there was potentially useful for other conditions. And largely, they thought that it was useful for pain conditions. And since this statement came out, a lot of the NIH funding on acupuncture has really been for chronic pain and the analgesia with, with chronic pain. OK, now we're going to get into some actual data. And this is a paper which I think is probably the most definitive paper that addresses the topic of whether acupuncture needling is uh, a therapy or a sham, or if it's just a placebo. And this is a study that came out a while ago in 2012, but there's not been anything since that's really re replaced this. And it was a very large uh, study which looked at chron different chronic pain patients, and they combined the, across many trials and did a meta-analysis, an individual patient meta-analysis. Um, and really, so the, the two questions that this study addressed were, is acupuncture better than sham acupuncture? So is acupuncture more than just a placebo? And two, well, is acupuncture better than what we're normally doing? Is it better than standard of care? Is it better than usual care? Uh, or is it better than no treatment whatsoever? And so these are the two questions that this, this trialist collaborative wanted to answer. And why I think this is a really definitive paper is because they had a lot of patients. There was a lot of subjects in this study. These clinical trials had, uh, there were 29 clinical trials. 20 of them uh, involved sham controls, and that, that amassed about 5,230 5, patients, and 18 trials of non-acupuncture controls, which is like usual care, standard of care, and that had close to 15,000 patients. So there's a lot of patients in this study, so it's very, um, very well-powered. And also, it was a meta-analysis of individual patient data, and you can typically think of the levels of evidence of research 
And basically on the bottom you have, you know, expert opinion, then you go to case series, then cohort studies, and then you move into randomized controlled trials, phase three randomized clinical trials, and then you have systematic reviews, which are above that, that pool together multiple clinical trials, and then mostly at the pinnacle you have these meta-analyses that have uh, uh, independent data, individual patient data going into them. And the individual patient data is really nice because it increases your statistical power. So in a typical meta-analysis, you might combine the mean and the standard deviation from different studies and just pool the data together using the pooled uh, mean and standard deviation of each trial. What the individual patient data meta-analysis does is it actually has individual data on each individual patient, so it combines the data uh, more thoroughly and has more power. Um, it also is nice because it can uh, facilitate comparison of subgroups and has standardization across trials. Um, this type of technique has been used in many different disorders, including uh, cancer and diabetes. Okay, so now answering question one. So the question one, remember, was, is acupuncture better than sham acupuncture? And before we can actually address that question, we have to understand what sham acupuncture is, right? How do you actually control for this intervention? So typically we think that acupuncture point location is important and we think that where, so where you stick the needle in, we think that's a really important uh, component of the therapy and that's what is inherently assumed in most clinical trials. And the way to control for that would be, um, and there's no actually uh, gold standard for how to control for acupuncture, so none of these techniques is really assumed as the best, but some of them involve uh, things like um, needling at non-acupuncture points. So like I said, if you stick it in a uh, traditional location, that's supposed to be efficacious. So, well, let's just stick it in a non-acupuncture point and see what that does. So that's one way. Uh, another way is using superficial penetrating needles where you stick it in an acupuncture point, but you don't insert it very far at all. It's just really shallowly uh, stuck in there. And then there's these things called these non-penetrating needles, which are really interesting. Was Conrad Streichberger from Germany developed this needle where you basically have a, a bandage on the hand or on the body, and the needle uh, is going to go sticking into the Band-Aid. And what, what happens with an acupuncture needle is right here when you stick it in, so this is the surface of the skin, when the acupuncture needle goes in, it's, it penetrates the skin and goes in deep. Where these non-penetrating or placebo needles, what they do is they, the needle actually gets retracted back into the handle, much like uh, a stage dagger. When someone gets stabbed with a stage dagger, the blade just retracts back into the handle. So they basically developed an acupuncture needle that did the same thing, that retracted back into the handle. The patient doesn't see what's happening because the, there's a Band-Aid there. They can't see that it's not going into their skin. And so they think, aha, I've got a treatment. And um, that's a way to control. So none of, these, none of these ways is generally considered better than another. There's not been much study in that. But they're all, they're all considered ways of, of controlling. Okay, so let's look at the data. So this is the data on low back and neck pain. And so I'm going to show you a couple of these forest plots, so if you haven't seen them before. Basically what happens in, a, in this type of plot, you've got a row for each individual study. So this is the Carlson study, which happened in 2001. It was on back pain. They had 27 patients, only 27, not a whole lot. And this is the coefficient, like the, the effect size that they had, the coefficient, the 95% uh, the confidence intervals, and then the weights, like how much assessment, how much uh, emphasis you'd place on that study. So for example, this study with 27 p 
people had a weight of four, but look at this one. This one has a weight of 51, and it had 745 patients. So obviously, you're going to pay more attention to the study that had more patients. So the way you can visually look across the studies is, are these things in the middle? So there's a, a line through the middle that goes straight down to zero. And if the data falls to the left of that line, that means it favors sham acupuncture. If it goes to the right of the line, that means it favors real acupuncture. And if the data straddles that line at zero, that means there's no difference. So what you can see across all these studies, the means are the dots. So there's a mean dot, dot, dot. So the means and the variabilities, the whiskers. And this is the, the zero line of no difference. And then what you can see is all the studies pretty much fall on the right side of the bar. So all of the studies are favoring real acupuncture. And uh, we'll get into the effect sizes in a little bit. So that was with low back pain. And now we're going to just breeze through. This is for osteoarthritis uh, of the knee or hip. Again, you can see all of the, study, all the studies except for this one fall to the right of the zero line. So they are favoring acupuncture. And this is for headache and migraine uh, combined and a little bit less significant. But if you pool all these studies together, the average result is still shifted to the right of that line, saying that statistically, real acupuncture is doing something more than sham acupuncture for pain in these conditions. Now, when this study came out, there was a lot of controversy. And the proponents of this, this type of data would say that acupuncture is efficacious. I mean, it beat, it beat the placebo control, so let's, you know, let's start using acupuncture. And while that is true, the p-values were very, very significant. A p-value of 0.05 is considered statistically significant. And all of these p-values were really, really low, less than 0.001, which means that it wasn't likely a chance observation that this happened. But the critics said, look at the effect sizes. So the effect sizes represent how much more different is real acupuncture from sham acupuncture. And the effect sizes were fairly small on the range of 0.15 uh, to 0.2. So that's, that's kind of a small effect size. And the critics basically said, well, you know, although it's statistically relevant, you know, it's not clinically significant, so let's not even bother using this because it's just a sham. So that's what the critics said, whereas the proponents basically said, well, we're statistically significant finding, so let's start using it more, 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 more. Okay, so that was question one. Now let's jump to question two that the Trialist Collaborative answered. And this one was, if you remember, you know, is acupuncture better than um, non-acupuncture controls? So these studies involved a number of different types of non-acupuncture controls including things like uh, no, no intervention whatsoever. Uh, some were put on, the patients were put on a wait list where they didn't actually get acupuncture until after a certain amount of time. Some of them had attention where the acupuncturist uh, gave the uh, participant attention and the control also gave some attention. Um, so anyway, these, these studies had various, various numbers of various controls, but none of them involved acupuncture per se. Now, here's the data from those trials. Now, um, again, look at the numbers. The numbers are quite large. Here's a study with 2,565 patients. And again, this is low back and neck pain, so the same conditions as the uh, other con controlled with, with, with sham acupuncture. And look, at all, all the studies are falling well over to the right of the line. Even the, the, the average pooled estimate is, is significantly more so on the, the right side of that line. So favoring acupuncture. Here's the data for 
osteoarthritis pain. Again, you see all of the studies, except for this one, falling to the right side of the zero there, suggesting that it's favoring acupuncture over a control intervention. And um, here's uh, the studies looking at headache and migraine. Again, all of the studies fall to the right of that zero. So it was really interesting looking at the response of the people to this paper. Uh, the, the press had a very, very large, uh, large number of articles came out in the press, in the lay press, about whether acupuncture should be used. And again, um, for the non-sham non controls, they're highly significant. But then look at the effect sizes. They're almost you know, twice to two and a half times larger than the, uh, the sham controlled studies. Still the same acupuncture intervention, still the same needling, still the same treatment, but the effect size is much larger than um, doing nothing or doing standard of care, for example. And so an effect size of 0.5 is considered moderate and moderate effect size. So what, what does this mean in terms of our patients? Like let's say you're a primary care physician and you want to recommend someone uh, to receive acupuncture and let's say that person has back pain and their back pain ranges uh, from around you know, uh, 50 to 70 on a 100-point scale with the average sort of falling around 60 and some variability of about 25, 25. If you gave no acupuncture intervention whatsoever, the pain score would drop from 60 to about a 45. If you gave them sham acupuncture, it would drop to about a 35. And if you gave them real acupuncture, it would drop to about a 30. So going from a pain score of 60 to a pain score of 30, uh, might be considered something worth looking at. So that's what it kind of means for the patients. So the conclusions of this study were basically acupuncture, I think, is really effective, if not efficacious. It's definitely effective for chronic pain, considering some of the treatments we do already. Also, the differences between acupuncture and sham acupuncture, while being statistically significant, are really small which means that there's probably other factors that go into this intervention that go beyond the actual needling effects, beyond the actual needling. So that means there's probably some big placebo effect, right? That means there's probably some kind of a placebo component to this intervention. And Ted Kapschuk from Harvard done some really nice studies looking at the placebo effect in sham acupuncture trials. And he did this really nice study that came out in 2008 where he found that and uh, these placebo effects that are, that are involved in sham treatments, specifically sham acupuncture, can be graded. So these were IBS patients that came into the clinical trial, and the patient was either given no information whatsoever, the acupuncturist didn't do anything to the patient in terms of like speaking with them, touching with them, did basically nothing other than blindfolding the patient and going through the sham treatment. Another group got a little more attention from the study personnel. The research assistants talked to the patients more. The acupuncturist uh, touched the patients a little bit. And then the third group got a lot of attention. The acupuncturist listened to the patient talk about their symptoms, gave thoughtful comments afterwards, had a really nice dialogue with the patients. Anyway, what you can see from that study, and I don't have the results showing here, but trust me, there was this graded effect where basically the more attention you give to the patient, the more analgesia they got. So there was these, these nonspecific effects which you US clinicians do with your patients. Those are really important and they're really, really effective. And so that's basically part of what's going on with acupuncture. And then Ted Kapschuk did this other study which is really kind of interesting. He looked at arm pain and in arm pain patients he basically 
randomize them to either receive a placebo pill, so an inactive pill, or they got sham acupuncture. And what he found was that sham acupuncture was much more effective at reducing pain than a placebo pill. So that means not all controls are the same, not all sham treatments are the same, not all placebos are the same. And so sham acupuncture uh, is, is very effective, and so we're sort of fighting an uphill battle with real acupuncture trying to, if you want to show that it's different from sham. The other thing I'd like to point out is that acupuncture is blocked by this compound called naloxone. And not only that, placebo effects are also blocked by the compound naloxone. And naloxone works on opioid receptors. And now we're going to segue into a little bit of a discussion about mechanistically how acupuncture might work. Like if, if it's really efficacious, if it's really doing something, well, what is it really doing? So we did a study at Michigan uh, looking at acupuncture. And before I tell you the data, I kind of have to show you a little bit of what the, data, uh, what, what the raw data looked like. So we did this positron emission tomography study, or a PET study, where we injected a radioactive opioid receptor ligand into the bloodstream, and we looked at how basically the ligand uh, reacted to the, to the brain over time. And so here at time point zero, uh, you inject the, the, the radioactive ligand, and then over time you can see the brain gets different colors, and the more red it gets, that means the more the ligand is binding uh, to that area of the brain. So you can do a study where um, you look at the binding potential, and that's the outcome of the, of the PET experiment. And what happens is you have these receptors down here, the opioid receptors, which can either bind to endogenous opioids or they can bind to your radioactive signal or your radioactive chemical. And so if you have an increased release of endogenous opioids, as often happens in placebo treatments, what happens is those endogenous opioids outcompete the sites that the drug could bind to. And what happens is you get a lower binding potential. So there's fewer of these areas where the white circles can bind to the receptors. But let's say over time, someone expresses more receptors. You get an increased receptor number. And what happens with that is if that's the case, then there's more areas for the radioactive molecule to stick. So if there's more areas where the radioactive molecule is sticking, you're going to get a bigger signal. So that means that your binding potential is going to go higher. And so I'm, I'm explaining this because the data that I'm going to show you in a couple minutes is basically this binding potential data, looking to see whether the binding potential goes up or the binding potential goes down. So the study, we took 20 fibromyalgia patients. All of them were female. They were randomized to receive either real or sham acupuncture. They had nine treatments over the course of four weeks, and they had uh, PET imaging at baseline, the opioid receptor imaging at baseline, as well as after the four weeks of treatment. And these are the locations of the real needling. This is the locations of the sham needling. We basically just tried to have the needles be in largely the same body area um, uh, as the real needles. So the sham needles were basically in the same body areas, but not on traditionally, traditional acupuncture points. All the patients were blindfolded. They couldn't see what was happening with respect to the treatment. And they all were acupuncture naive. None of them had ever had acupuncture before. So they didn't know what really to expect from the treatment. And this was our result from the brain imaging, which was actually totally unexpected to us. We didn't expect to see this kind of a dramatic of an effect. What we found was that there were many different areas of the brain where acupuncture needling 
change the opioid receptor binding potential differently from the sham acupuncture needling. And so what I'm plotting here on, the, on, on this part here, this is the short-term effect. So this is basically in the first 30 minutes after, a needle, after the treatment needles were inserted. We see these areas of the brain where there's differences in effects. And I'm plotting them out here uh, on this graph where each different area of the brain here is located on the um, y-axis here. And each row is that, is that region. So this is sham. So all of the black dots are the sham acupuncture dots. And all of the red dots are the uh, real acupuncture effects. And you can see this is zero. The zero no effect would be here. And you can see all of the red dots are on the right side. And so that means that all of the acupuncture-treated patients pretty much had an increase in their binding potential, both in the short term as well as in the long term. After the course of four weeks, they've received nine treatments. In the long-term effect, we also see the same thing. Real acupuncture causes an increase in the opioid receptor binding potential, whereas sham acupuncture caused either no effect or a, de or a, dif or a decrease. So the problem was both groups had equal amounts of analgesia. <laughs> both groups had the same amount of pain reduction. But what was going on with the receptors was exactly different, exactly opposite. So what's going on here? Um, well, we looked a little bit further, and we found also that in the real acupuncture group, when the, when the binding potential went higher, the pain went down. So the actual change in the binding potential also meant something to the analgesia. Something about the needling was uh, affecting the binding potential, and that was tightly correlated with the analgesic response. And so um, basically what we reasoned was, and if we go back to this slide, what we reasoned was what happens with sham acupuncture is you get a release of endogenous opioids which compete for the sites for the drug to bind to, and uh, that's going to cause a reduction in your binding potential. Whereas, with, and that's, so if you have a, the receptors are more activated, you get more inhibition, you know, nerve cells quiet down, so that's the analgesic response to sham acupuncture. But to real acupuncture, we thought maybe there's an increase either in the receptor number or the ability of the receptor to actually bind to the endogenous opioid. And if that's the case, then um, the binding potential is going to go up because there's more places for the radioactive carfentanil to bind to, and then you're going to show an increase in the binding potential. So there's one possible mechanism by how uh, real and shame acupuncture might have different mechanistic processes but have the same effect of increasing opioid inhibition. Okay, so this is uh, sort of a funny slide. So you've got to be kidding. Your back still hurts with all these needles stuck in you. So, you know, it really seems like, you know, needle location's not all that critical, like from the meta-analysis that I showed you before. The, effects, the, the effect size is fairly small. But, you know, has this research really done anything? Has this research really changed clinical care. I mean, a lot of money's been put into these studies and, and what's, actually, you know, what's actually happening with how, how you guys are actually treating patients. Well, it turns out they actually had a very big effect in Europe, specifically in Germany and England, or the United Kingdom. So in Germany, the effect of that Vickers, uh, the meta-analysis study showing that acupuncture was better than no treatment, basically um, it, it caused the German healthcare system to, to now pay for acupuncture, for conditions like 
low back pain and knee osteoarthritis. And there had been an increase in the number of acupuncture treatments of about 20%. And then similar effects were seen in the, in, in the United Kingdom. So an increased usage of acupuncture by primary care physicians and insurance companies, or the, the insurance for paying for it. Well, what about in the United States? What's happening in the U.S.? Well, the, um, the American College of Rheumatology in 2012 came out for, with their, their recommendation, which still holds, for whether you should use acupuncture or not. And in the U.S., we say treatment with acupuncture is conditionally recommended only when the patient with knee osteoarthritis has chronic to severe pain and is unwilling to undergo arthroplasty. So that's the only recommendations that we have. So I have to say that acupuncture has been slower, slower to be accepted by the healthcare system in the U.S. than, uh, than in Europe and other countries. Okay, and now I'm finally going to end with um, just, a, just one more couple slides showing, you know, is acupuncture safe? You know, it's a big question. Is acupuncture safe? Well, um, this study, which is fairly definitive with 97,000 patients um, that were treated in Germany, there was over 7.8 sessions per patient with a total of 760,000 treatments with probably 8 to 10 needles per treatment. They had 6,900 mild adverse events, most of them dealing with uh, like bleeding, minor bleeding, uh, hematomas, and only six serious adverse events, only six out of 9,000 or uh, out of uh, 760,000 treatments. And these basically were fairly mild even. Uh, There's one case of an exacerbated depression, a slight hypertensive crisis, a vasovagal reaction, and actually, pneumothorax is actually the most common one with two, where if the acupuncture needle is inserted into the lung uh, area, it can actually penetrate the lung and cause a pneumothorax. And that's rare, but it happens occasionally. But in general, I think we can say that acupuncture is, a quite, is quite a safe intervention. So we're now going to summarize. Acupuncture seems to be effective, maybe not efficacious, but effective certainly for the relief of some chronic pain conditions. It doesn't totally depend on where you stick the needle. There's other factors going on between the acupuncturist and the patient. Um, yeah, the, the nonspecific effects actually seem to be probably more relevant than the actual needle location. Um, and, it, and other countries have supported the use of acupuncture for chronic pain, uh, specifically for OA and, and low back pain, two, two very prevalent chronic pain conditions. And acupuncture, I think, is quite safe, and um, unlike some of the interventions that we give patients, I think acupuncture is quite safe. And I think we also need to think about not just the number needed to treat, but also the number needed to harm, whether or not our intervention is actually going to cause some harm. And I'd like to thank you for listening, and sorry if I went over a little bit. So I don't, I don't know if you guys have questions, if there's any questions. Yes? Um, the actual uh, needle insertion takes about 20 to 30 minutes. So the needles are inserted in a couple minutes, and then the patient sits there for like 20 to 30. So the treatments can be quite quick. The first treatment where the acupuncturist diagnoses the person and decides like where to stick the needles, that can take about an hour to maybe an hour and a half. But the subsequent treatments can be very, very quick. So they don't need to be uh, that long. They can even be like 15 minutes or shorter. So... Yeah. 
So the question was, how many appointments do you need? It depends on the patient, and it depends on the, yeah, the disease. So I think in general, what I re typically recommend is for someone to get about four to six treatments over a couple weeks um, for a chronic pain patient. And you know, if there's any movement at all in their pain, then keep sticking with it and seeing if you can taper and have less frequent treatments. What I didn't show was that actually the effects last a long time for, for some of these conditions. Like in these clinical trials where they gave you know, eight treatments over the course of four weeks, the effects lasted for six months to years afterwards. So even though you might need eight treatments in the beginning, you can taper and plus the effects last longer, a fairly long time. But not every patient is the same, obviously. So it, uh, it, it, it is a little bit of a trial and error for the patients, and we're trying to understand like, who's, who's a better candidate for this intervention. So, yep. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That, is there any advantage to starting this preoperatively? So I didn't present any of the data on that, but it's actually quite strong. So if you give acupuncture preoperatively, um, the, the amount of postoperative opioid requirement is much less. And what's that? Um, so I guess it would depend on the study, but what I'm thinking of is they would give uh, maybe acupuncture within the week, like two or three treatments before the actual surgery, and then they would assess immediately after surgery and post-op follow-up, like how much morphine was you know, used by the patient. So that's typically what was done. So up, up front, you know, anywhere from maybe one, maybe two weeks before the surgery would be sufficient. So, but actually the data is really strong on that and that acupuncture is, best, is definitely better than sham for postoperative pain. And that's more of an acute condition. Whereas the chronic stuff, like I was talking about today, the chronic stuff's more mixed because I feel the patients are very heterogeneous. And so you do these large studies and like your effects washes out somewhat. But for surgical pain and acute pain, the data is really strong. So, yep. So, with, with It's funny, there's actually a really big fight in the field right now with uh, acupuncturists up in arms saying, you know, this dry needling that physicians are doing is, they're claiming it's acupuncture when it's really not, it's something different. Um, yeah, it's, it, there's a debate. And like some of the acupuncturists, it's their turf sort of, like they wanna, they wanna preserve their, uh, their area whereas the physicians want to actually kind of introduce some of this in there. Now, there is a course offered in L.A. by Helms, uh, Jesse Helms, I think, where you took that, so like where the physician can go learn really quickly in like two, two to four weeks or something. So it's fairly long, but like for an acupuncturist, like for me, like being a non-MD uh, researcher, when I learned acupuncture, it took me three years. I took two years of courses and then one year of actual treating patients and diagnosing. So it's a little bit longer than that. And so the acupuncturists think that, you know, that really matters. But the research kind of shows that the point location is not all that critical. 
um, for the average patient. What I think is that the hard patients, the really difficult cases, you get good results from the skilled acupuncturist and sort of the average you know, run-of-the-mill, use this area, use this point, use that point, use that point for this condition, doesn't work so well in the hard ones. So that's where I think the difference is. But yeah, there's, there's this dry needling dis- debate. Well, interestingly, so I'm in this uh, group. I'm on the board for the Society for Acupuncture Research. I don't know, but Roger Fillingen was talking about that in the beginning. So our mission is not to uh, be proponents of acupuncture, but to be proponents of the good science in acupuncture. And we come out with these papers occasionally called these white papers where we address topics in the field. One of them was the question of electroacupuncture versus manual acupuncture. In the research studies, they combine them. All the research studies, like these trials, they, they'll combine electroacupuncture with manual acupuncture across studies, but we really don't know if the mechanisms are the same, and they're probably much different. Um, and so we have a paper on electroacupuncture versus manual acupuncture, and like sort of the, what, the history behind it, and you know, the implications, and what might be going on, and some recommendations. So if you're interested in that, look, up, look us up, Society for Acupuncture Research. We have research meetings every every year. Um, if you're interested in you know learning more about the research, yeah, that's the field hasn't gotten there yet. The field is still just calling it all acupuncture. There's very few studies that have really definitively or rigorously asked the question of whether auricular acupuncture is better or doing something different. I mean, there's studies, or anything. I mean, there's studies that do electroacupuncture of the ear, actually, where there's this device that you, you tape onto the ear, and it sends current into the ear. And uh, that they call that, that's actually electroacupuncture, but it's of the ear. So um, you keep it in for a few days. You, you, go, you shower with it on, and you know, it's in there, and it's constantly stimulating you. Um, I also, there's also... I'm really interested in acupressure, which is a different component where you don't actually manipulate the needles at all. You just massage the points. And what the problem with chronic pain is that there's too many patients. Like, you know, there's 100 million patients with chronic pain in the U.S. And you can't send all of those people to acupuncturists. There's just not enough acupuncturists. There's not enough physicians for them. 
So we're trying to teach people how to do self-acupressure on themselves to alleviate their pain and to alleviate. We also study fatigue. We did this nice study looking at fatigue in breast cancer survivors. Um, but anyway, I'm also, a, I'm also interested in acupressure and like self-help therapies, which, yeah. Yeah, I know her very well. She's on the board of the Society for Acupuncture Research. Sure. Sure. Yep. Yep. Yeah, so there's kind of been two areas of research with the acupuncture. One is like Helen's stuff, where she's looking in the periphery, where the needle is, and like how the tissue gets wrapped around the needle and the fibroblast gene expression changes. There's been a couple studies looking at like dopamine and ADP in the tissue, like right around the needle and changes in concentrations there. And there's other folks like me that have been focused on the brain and are looking at how the brain changes. And now we haven't really combined them yet, and we're we're getting there, but that's the next like mechanistic, I think, threshold that we need to cross is like understanding how the signal is transmitted. Also, acupuncture is used for many different things, so there's many different mechanisms, I'm sure. So the, the needle winding could be one, opioid receptors could be another, ATP could be another, so there's a lot of things that it does. So. Oh, yeah, yeah. We, we, we actually had an article come out in JAMA Oncology this year, actually, this, last, this, this summer. And we basically looked at uh, women who had fatigue. They're breast cancer survivors that had persistent fatigue. But they also had pain, depression, sleep problems, a lot of stuff. Anyway, we had two different acupressure formulas, and then we had a usual care group. And both acupuncture, acupressure formulas significantly really significantly outperformed usual care, which is what they were getting before. And uh, it took 15 minutes to train someone to do it, and we asked them to do it for uh, six weeks, every, every, uh, five days a week for six weeks. And the treatments lasted uh, around 30 minutes per treatment. So not all of them did all the treatments, and not all of them did a 30-minute treatment every time, but... You know, still, we, we had a really nice effect. And now um, I'm doing imaging, brain imaging on the acupressure formulas, and it looks like the two acupressure formulas actually have different effects in the brain on neurochemistry and connectivity of different brain areas. So, yeah, we're now getting into it. Not, interestingly, pain was also improved greatly by the acupressure, but it wasn't the, the primary outcome of the study. It was fatigue. But we're now looking at the pain. So... No, they just use their hand. Yeah, they just use their own hands. Yeah. Uh -huh. Sure. Sure. 
There's a lot of there's a lot of people addressing that question. Um, definitely the preoperative uh, treatments that decrease the postoperative opioid consumption. There's a lot of data on that. Um, people who are on chronic opioid therapy, like your chronic pain patient that's you know addicted or whatever, um, there's not as much data on that. But a lot of people are raising that question, and I bet there's going to be good findings. Basically, from the imaging that we saw. Um, it looked like real acupuncture, if it increases the number of receptors, for example, then you would need less opioid to actually get the same analgesic effect, right? So there might be ways where acupuncture, even mechanistically, it makes sense that it might you know, be beneficial. So.